Hello, hola, the gates, and welcome back to another edition of the Plastics Podcast, a show where three American wankers realize the striker problem that the U.S. has is exactly the same thing as the right back problem England has. You're joined by a Rodrigo enthusiast, Blair Lacrosse. Hey, it's me, Anthony Alonga sympathizer, Maddie Gaylor. Hello, and myself, Jacob Burke, Harvey Barnes's husband. Marsh musters a tie with Southampton, and Leicester City and Manchester United manage a disappointing tie for both teams at Old Trafford. Also, the U.S. is qualified. We are into the World Cup with some spicy neighbors in the group, featuring the Plastics' excitement, fears, and overblown expectations for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar this December. We just watched two games that we aren't going to be talking about. That's true. Well, we did do that. Yeah. So just to let you guys know, we aren't just skipping games. We just got a lot of content to cover. Uh, West Ham Everton uh, was fairly exciting, I think. Uh, and I think Tottenham blew Newcastle out of the water. They did. Yeah. Blair isn't happy about Tottenham <laughs> blowing Newcastle out of the water. I don't think anybody that has to face Tottenham <laughs> the rest of the season should be too happy about it. No, they looked pretty dangerous. Uh, it's, it was weird. They, they looked lethargic, and then it happened all at once. Everything just came crashing down. Yeah. Um, so pretty poor defending yeah. from Newcastle. Pretty poor defending. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, let's hope, you know, uh, I don't know. You, 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 I think you particularly, Blair, uh, were torn between the Newcastle um, state, as it is, and uh, Tottenham being Tottenham. So I'm not sure who you even go for in that dog race. Uh, Newcastle all the way. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, they're not getting relegated, so them winning is just There's still time. I think there's like 24 points left or something like that for them. Jacob won our bracket again. Oh, I true. did win the bracket. Yeah. Yeah. It was my bracket pitted against Jacob's bracket last night. and uh, Came down to it, didn't it? Yeah. Came down to uh, the Villanova villains. Um, villains and the Kansas City Hummingbirds. Interesting choice. I, I don't know their mascot. The Jayhawks. Yeah. Like they have a really cool mascot. I'm a bird. big fan of the, man, the Jayhawk logo. Yeah, it's a happy looking little mascot. Um, and I, the villain, it's just a V. So for Villanova, you know, I think if you're gonna do like a, um, like a team crest, right. For any college team, it can't be the letter. It has to be your mascot. Like I want, I want, um, like, uh, Dr. Doom from the fantastic four to be like the Villanovans, Villanova's uh, mascot. Cause they're a villain. They're a super villain. What about uh, the guy with the big head? Megamind. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They got trash, so maybe just like a common burglar. <laughs> you know, they're just a petty criminal now, not a villain. Oh, poor guys. Yeah, so I guess that wins me a... Well, the thing is One I won... free I Italian. won last year's bracket. Yep. And I think winning this year's bracket is kind of boring uh, for the bracket, for the the bracket uh, economy of our apartment as a whole. So, I mean, you just now get two meals at the yeah, Italian I, fair. But like, of Olive no Garden. one goes to Olive Garden like twice in a day. Oh, we will. I don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to be like, have sick you had the next two weeks? Maybe you have. I don't know. Maybe this might be true. For, it's true for me. I think it might be true for Blair. I don't think it's true for Maddie. I've had pasta. Like, That's for cool. Lunch. <laughs> No, 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 but you hear me out. Let me finish. <laughs> I've had pasta for lunch, and I've never gone back to dinner and said to myself, you know what? I want more pasta. They have other things than pasta. It's true. They have salad and breadsticks. <laughs> the, yeah, the thing is, like, you're going to go to Olive Garden and then just get, like, like a salt enema, basically. <laughs> like, it's just, like... Some variant of salt, olive oil, and garlic. Yeah, it's like you're just embalming yourself with endless breadsticks and salad, and then you're throwing 
a ton of carbohydrates on top of the carbohydrates you already had. Which isn't a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 yeah, it can be an enjoyable experience, I guess. I mean, you got a carb load before you go on your marathon. That's you true. You a whole plate of... Uh, They've got salmon. You, would you trust salmon from Olive Garden? Uh, I plead the f- fifth. Leeds yeah. won. Southampton won. Gosh, this was kind of a fun game uh, for the 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 chaos in the midfield, really. The the back and forth of it all. Yeah, Jesse Marsh's Leeds manage a point against a, I honestly, quietly consistent uh, Southampton that has been just doing the work to get a mid-table finish or even above a mid-table finish. So, Blair, Maddie, what are your thoughts going into this game? What would you think of the, the old narrative spinning off here? Yeah, Leeds are fun to watch. I, mean, I enjoy watching them uh, recently, not just because Jesse Marsh is there, but mostly because of that, to be honest. Um, I think they um, tend, to, tend to be involved in, yeah, just entertaining matches. And Southampton decided to show up in this one and provide a little bit of entertainment of them, themselves. They are, yeah, like you said, solidly consistent. I mean, they're 11th in the table right now. I think if they won, they could have gone into the top half of the table. So, like, Southampton have been pretty pretty damn solid all year for the most part. And Hassenhudel is, uh, I'd say, a lot to do with that. So, yeah, fun match. And uh, two teams that I think if you're neutral, they're, you know, pretty enjoyable to watch. They play, you know, a pretty good brand of soccer. It's important to have good branding in your soccer. For sure. Yeah. Leeds host the Saints with the hopes of drawing or picking up three points against a consistent Southampton team this weekend. Yes. And you know what we'd realized uh, going into this game was that we hadn't talked about our Southampton Saints in quite a long time. I think they are the least talked about team on this podcast so far in the Premier League. So we apologize, first of all. Uh, and second of all, Southampton have a couple of pretty neat players on their team. Uh, most notably, this game, the only, the one and only James Ward-Prowse. Hello. <laughs> Hello, James. What's going on? James Ward-Prowse scores the uh, the only uh, goal for Southampton with an incredible free kick uh, that earns him his third of the season. His third free kick goal, I should say. He's had more goals. And let's talk about Southampton for a bit. I'm going to introduce a factoid to both of you, uh, and feel free to um, comment on this. Southampton's back line might be one of the youngest in the league, with Livermento, their uh, right back, at 19 years old, Bednarek at 25 years old, Salisu at 22 years old, and Kyle Walker-Peters at 24 years old. That is a uh, very, very young back line in a position that is stereotypically a bit older. Um, they are the top four in successful pressures in the league. Fantastic development from Ralph Hassenhudel for such a young back line. Yeah, for sure. I think their wingbacks are pretty exciting. Tina Lermento and Kyle Walker-Peters are both pretty fun to watch. They get up the pitch pretty well. They have some quality in the final third. I think, yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's a pretty solid back line. I, I thought Salisu looked pretty good in this game. He had a pretty nice last ditch tackle, albeit maybe because he was slightly out of position and had to slide to get back. Not really sure, but um, yeah, nonetheless, a very nice uh, break up and play in the box. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you know with youth, like the old adage goes that with young center backs, you're just going to give away goals basically, um, and. Quite honestly, I thought Bednarek was like 29. I did not know he was 25. Um, it's a name, honestly. It kind of does just feel like an old name. Yeah. I don't uh, know yeah, what it, it is. But yeah, 25 years old. I, you know, they lost Yannick Vestergaard this summer. Uh, he was a pretty big uh, piece for them in, in the back line. A pretty formidable presence in the box. Hasn't been as much for Leicester. But yeah, I mean, I think generally they've they've got a pretty good thing going at the back. They're behind Manchester City, Liverpool, and Brighton. In that order, by the way, Brighton are number one with successful pressures. <laughs> not um, to not to distract from this conversation, but did you see Brighton had thirty one shots and four on target in this game this week? <laughs> I did not know. I know they they lost, didn't they? No, I think they drew. They drew. Okay. Yeah, it was a zero zero tie. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, because uh, um, didn't Mal pay miss a penalty? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's rough. Yep. That is rough. So one of those shots on target was the penalty. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I think to be behind, just behind Manchester City and Liverpool and pretty much anything this season in particular is uh, a testament to what you can do with uh, what is in reality a very mid-table squad. So um, I think that like Southampton, I think of the teams, I, I mean, especially for this podcast, right, has been going under the radar. I don't hear them a lot uh, in the media. You know, where I click and where I read, um, which is Twitter and Reddit for the most part. Um, and so I think that might reflect why we talk so little about them. Uh, I think, like, if you were to tier the media coverage, it's like Manchester United way, way at the top. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, we, we talk about them. And we're going to talk about them again this episode. I my- It always happens. <laughs> It always happens. We always we do always say like, hey, let's not do Manchester United this episode, and it just comes back around. It's a vicious cycle. We need to stop. <laughs> I think I think here's maybe what what happens when, and and this isn't entirely true um, for the most part, but like for Southampton sitting solidly mid table, they're not really like in a crisis where they might go down. And they're also not really like challenging for European spots. So like, there's not like a lot of like narratives to drum up around them. House and Hoodles just got a pretty like steady, even keel with its team. And, you know, there's just not a lot of drama, you know? So like you look at like teams around them, like Crystal Palace added a new manager and some new players. There's been a lot of hype around uh, Brighton and Graham Potter this year, especially being an English manager in the Premier League um, who's had what, I think some might call success with Brighton. Um, Aston Villa, obviously making some acquisitions in January. Gerard coming in. Leicester City has been kind of disappointing. So you just look around at, at all these teams. It, have, they, have they been disappointing? No, yeah. because I'm, no, I'm looking at the table, right? And you... You like, and you can see like each... You can see like a factoid of like what how the the media machine is like representing everything with each team yeah. and Southampton's kind of just like there. Exactly. Uh, you, if you're in 11th, there's a contractual obligation to not talk about you <laughs> yeah. good or bad. You're just there. Yeah. And like, they haven't, they like, they haven't changed managers. They haven't signed crazy players. They haven't had wild headlines that have made the news yeah. in any, like any sense of the word, really. Cause you could see like a, like, uh, what was it? Uh, Everton have had headlines. Uh, Leeds have had headlines. Newcastle have had headlines. Newcastle uh, is the headlines. Yeah, you know, Brighton. Can't think of any. Uh, br- like all the promoted teams, obviously. Brighton are taught because of uh, his, that dude. I can't even think of his name right now. Wow. Graham Potter. There it is. <laughs> yeah, the top set. You know, it's all it's all just there, but Southampton's j- like, they're Jay chilling, you know? Uh, which I love, which is, it seems to me, uh, very, like very German. Oh, we are here. And, uh, once we, uh, we, we are in 11th elf. I mean, elf is word for German, but it's also like a mystical creature in Lord of the Rings. This word is 11 in German. Is that what you mean? Elf. Yeah. Is it, is that, that's 11. The German word for 11. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with those, with those (laughs) statements. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Let's move on from my bad accent impression. Um, James Ward Prowse is now on three converted free kick goals this season. His current record is four. It seems that his, uh, proficiency from free kicks is, is almost overblown a little bit with, cause he's English. And I made me wonder, uh, and this is, I don't have any like data backing this. So I would love to hear each of your takes on this. Are free kick attempts worth it? Is it statistically better for a team to go for a goal from the spot or to maybe try and set up something else and get a, the ball in the box for someone to shoot? Um, yeah, let's hear it. Not every time. I think some teams go for goal every single free kick that they can. And I know it's kind of like hard to judge because obviously he went for goal and he got it. Um, and you can't just kind of say, oh, this time he's going to get it, but next time we should, you know, go for getting like a cross in. But there were a couple free kick goals this weekend that were really nice. So before this weekend, I think I would have said no. And today I'm saying maybe 50-50. I think there were like three free kick goals this weekend now yeah. that you mention it. Yeah. Cresswell's was very nice. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Prowse, who's for Newcastle? Cher. Yeah, Fabian, yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a lot, though. 
Yeah. So I think before this weekend, I would have said no. Nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this weekend changed it. Yeah. The, okay. This weekend, they were like really nice free kicks that people actually got on target. If you're the United States, no. Let's, you know, let's. <laughs> well, we will get to that. I think it's like basically it comes down to like what angle you've got. I think if you're like, you know, in the wide areas, it's obviously better to send in something that you, you might be able to get ahead on. I, I wouldn't take a shot. Um, but I think where James Ward Prowse was taking it from is a good spot for him to shoot. I think with free kicks, like they are like a low probability chance, but some of these guys like James Ward Prowse who have like such quality on dead ball situations. It's like, I think, you know, the returns are low, you know, four goals is his record in a season. But if you just watch him throughout the course of the season, like he, uh, what makes him so threatening is like, it seems like every time he's standing over it, like he's got a chance at scoring, you know, he just, he can get it on target or close to it. Uh, most, most tries it feels like, and, and like James Madison's another guy like that. Um, there's a few others out there, obviously. Um, Eric Deard is one, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is, is it worth it? Like we're talking about a sport where it, there's a lot of just low probability chances that sometimes you score on them. So I don't know. Um, I feel like, you know, trying to get it into the box is kind of, it's just like a uh, dirty business too. There's just like so many bodies there. Like if you're trying to make a play on the ball, it's like not always very clean. So it just feels like it's, you're like taking it even more into chance and luck if you're um, going that route. So there's yeah. also a bigger chance they'll call it back because of some weird shove somebody gave yeah, and, or offsides or something. Or you're in front of the goalie. Or. Yeah. Okay. Here is an actual analytical question then. Do you think what, what percentage of uh, free kicks are successfully converted? Like a free kick going for a goal? Seven. Oh. Uh, seven free kicks seven percent of free kicks <laughs> okay i'm gonna say it's like one percent or less it is currently a little under six percent this season <sighs> dang my god she's uh, as good. opposed to a 78 percent conversion rate for a penalty shot it's i think that's uh that's a bit low for me like for me i would i would be a coach who would play by the numbers Right, I would I would very much play it like baseball. Um, Playing Moneyball. Don't you, yeah. <laughs> Never mind. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would go by vibes only because that's the first thing everyone would say. Um, yeah. So I think go, trying to get it into the box would be better, personally, just to see if you could get like a better chance. And I know it gets scrummy and it's very chaotic, but I think chaos gets you higher than a six percent chance. Personally, I know corners are abysmal. They're like 2%. So, uh, it's, and like, you just don't think about it because corners happen so much more. So I think it's better to just try and get it into the box because that will, if you can get a different angle on it, cause you're at a different angle than the corner. Right. So if you can get that like through chip, I think that's in, I could be wrong though. Now my, the second part to this question was, uh, will he be using the England squad for this specialty, or do you think he has other midfield merits that he can replace another member with? No. Next question. <laughs> like not like uh, for the World Cup, you think uh, James Ward Prowse isn't getting a call up? No, I don't think so. Twenty six man squad, I think. Who? What other midfielders do you have in mind? Seeing as how uh, Southgate likes to use like four or five center defensive mids at any point, maybe uh, maybe he gets used. I don't know. I, like he's been like on the periphery of the England squad for most of his career. Um, so like maybe he gets the call up, but like he's not going to like feature. I don't think he does. He, he seems just like he's right on the cusp, but, but like not really there. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I haven't paid that much attention to England's qualification to, to know, but I don't, think James Ward-Prowse is going to be a big feature of their World Cup run. It's a 25-man squad. Ward-Prowse is in there. Um, I'll read you some other midfielders. We've got Jordan Henderson, Mason Mount, Declan Rice, Phil Foden, Connor Gallagher, Emil Smith-Rowe, Jude Bellingham, Jack Grealish. Now that I look at these guys... That's a really deep squad. Damn. Yeah, no, it is a deep squad. I think maybe Rice, obviously, Henderson uh, is a good sub. 
I think he's kind of drifted to more of a sub now. You get, uh, I don't know, Jude Bellingham is one of those where it's like he's getting so much hype, but he isn't playing in the Premier League. So he's he has that like invisible barrier he still has to cross. Uh, and he's young. I think Mason Mount probably gets in, right? Um, and then I don't know who's left. Maybe Jack Grealish. Seems like a good bet he'll get in. Yeah. Daniel James had a rough night with finishing. He gets advertised as hardworking as a hardworking winger, and perhaps he will perf- uh, perform better once Patrick Bamford, him, and Rodrigo can all play as a unit. But he's not the source of goals Leeds needs him to be. Should be should we be worried if the U.S. face Wales come the World Cup? You think uh, Dan James is going to score like a winning goal against the U.S. player? <sighs> I don't want to play Wales. Yeah. Doesn't feel good. That would be a, a, a not great team to have as the... I think Wales historically are the uh, animal you want to bet uh, for when coming against an eagle. Yeah, it seems like a good bet. You could probably just shoot it out of the sky with its spray. Yeah, they didn't write a book about a giant white eagle. That's true. Yeah, Herman Melville was busy with other projects. Yeah, Dan James uh, doesn't have much. Uh, his his final ball is just like not there, really. And I was thinking, uh, yeah, he's kind of a callow young attacker. It'll come. He's 24. Didn't realize that. Thought he was like 21. He looks like a boy at 24. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, coming, coming off the wing with a player like Bamford, maybe, you know, it'll come. He's had a season under his belt with Leeds now where that sort of attacking front has been disrupted with a lot of injuries and rotation and things like that. So I think like Dan James provides a lot for what Leeds want defensively with their, their pressing high up the field and ball retention and uh, that sort of thing. But, or I guess regaining the ball rather, but um, yeah, his uh, decision-making, you know, with that final ball, because he, do, he does everything right. I mean, like, he receives progressive pass as well. He's tireless. Like, he gets up the field. He sprints. Um, he's constantly sprinting. Like, you, you, your eye is drawn to him because he works so hard. But, you know, it's just like he just needs to know when to lay the ball off or when to take the shot, um, depending on where he is. And he just doesn't seem to have figured that out yet. Yeah, no, he, the, that last, that it's just that last bit that I think everyone just, I mean, all the coaches famously say, like, oh, you can't teach finishing. And, like, I don't really subscribe to that, but it, it's clear in this case Dan James hasn't uh, grasped that element of his game yet, if he will, ever. Uh, I think the um, flashes of brilliance he had at Man U that got him into the squad uh, just aren't there necessarily for leads for whatever reason. But I think uh, I think you said it best. The best uh, quality he brings to the table is that willingness to just keep on running, um, just to constantly harry defenders, I mean, harry midfielders, and uh, go up and down the right channel that he kind of just sticks to. And if he can either, in my opinion, be used as a shuttler of the ball to get down the field and then try and work on crossing in or making a play up to the 18. Or if he can just spend the next entire summer only practicing on putting it in the net from various <laughs> angles, I think he would do really well for leads. But right now, I think he's just bang average. Yeah. Do you think part of the problem is where he is on the field, like playing that central role. Would things be clear for him if he's playing out on the wing and he kind of had less options? I think that's how man you used him. Uh, and cause like they had the, the, the staff to like populate, you know, the various other attacking options that, uh, Dan James would then thrive off of. Um, I think he played really well with, uh, who was the striker back when he was there. Was it Lukaku? Was it Lukaku? Yeah. Oh my god! I don't. Everything's crazy now. <laughs> uh, Lukaku has made two team shifts in that time. I think if Patrick Bamford wasn't injured and Rodrigo wasn't always dropping so deep, then maybe Dan James wouldn't have to play as this all-encompassing number nine that he's been forced to play as. So maybe he would play better. Uh, I. 
I think everyone can agree this hasn't done his confidence a lot. Um, I think he needs goals. He lo- he's he's a confidence player. Uh, he's like Timo Werner, or, and uh, he needs that uh, that consistent performance. I think he's getting backing from uh, Jesse Marsh. It looks like uh, you know he's still getting his starts, and uh, it seemed like Marcel Bielsa liked him enough. So there's something there. I just think we need. Leads need other guys around him to better facilitate what he brings to the table. And that's like, you know, that's I, I mean, that's you could say that with any player, but you know, Dan James is the one in the spotlight right now. I think we were talking about the 2019 20 season for United, and that was when Dan James started 26 games for them. The forward with the most starts, it looks like in that number nine role, was Anthony Martial that year. Wow. 31 starts. 31? Yeah. I do. I genuinely wouldn't have guessed that. I thought he, it feels like Martial's been like a guy just just beyond uh, the starting spot. You know, like fringe bench. Yeah, super sub. Yeah, because what they they bought him on a pretty big transfer. He came in from Monaco in 2015, 16. So he'd been there for a little while. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> surprising, but. He had 17 goals and six assists that year, so that's that was his best statistical return for Martial. United that season. Yeah, yeah. He, I think he came into the league swinging, uh, so that I, I, he's kind of petered out since then. But speaking of, hasn't really lit the world on world on fire at uh, Sevilla he either. Is, he's starting this game, so I mean, yeah, he. I mean, he hasn't, but Sevilla have kind of been like misfiring towards the end of the season. They've been steadily dropping points. I know you kind of enjoy watching Dan James play, Maddie. Yeah, he's an exciting player to watch. He just couldn't string anything together this week. He lost the ball a couple of times in the uh, final yeah. third. I mean, there was that one moment where he tried to, I think he tried to finish it from like the right side and it just went straight to the goalkeeper when he could have also like pet crossed it, um, you know, in front of goal. I think, uh, Doing too much. That that incalculable quality of finishing just isn't there for him. So, not yet. Maybe, maybe, maybe there leads. This is the section of the podcast where we go. Leads needs. Leads needs <laughs> a finishing piece to just kind of string Dan James yeah. and his disconnect from the other the other players farther back okay. into a working forward attack leads needs leads needs yeah at least one that can stay healthy yeah yeah that's true patty Banff, man yeah i think the the sort of cliche or whatever you want to say about about goal scorers is that when they get into the box things slow down for them not speed up and dan james kind of seems like a guy where things speed up for him when he's trying to make that last choice dan james feels like the guy that is always talking fast yeah. Like when he's telling a story, it's just all fast. Yeah. He does like sort of uh, outrun his coverage in a sense. Like he's just sometimes like they just pass the ball forward to him and he's just like all alone. There's like four defenders and it's like, Dan James, I'm, I'm, Dan James, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to make something happen. <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> it's the, uh, the cartoon running sound effect. Yeah, exactly. One, one of my favorite things to do is to picture players every time they run past a, an opponent saying their own name. So Dan James is just like running past a defender and he goes, Dan James, <laughs> Danny James, Danny James. So there's like four guys around him. He's Dan James, Dan James, Dan James. <laughs> and he takes a shot and then he misses and he goes, Dan James. <laughs> or uh, if you're Gianluca Busio, Busio. <laughs> it makes a little pass. Busio. Beppy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Moving on, uh, Manchester United Uno, Leicester City Uno, and Uno means one in Spanish. For those of you who aren't aware, it's, it was a tie. It was a one-one tie for yeah. the two Titans of the this this weekend. Um, I'm just gonna let Maddie kick off here because this is her this is her realm. This game was a clusterfuck. Oh boy. Okay, let's try and remember the positives. I am, I am. I, am. Okay. It, I don't think it was refereed very 
consistently. And I think we've said this a lot about just Man U in general. They kind of get away with a lot. But that being said, I oh the game started <laughs> out really exciting. I think both teams were playing pretty well. Both teams were giving up a little bit for each other. Lester's first goal came with a Madison assist to an Ian Acho header in the 63rd minute. Really nothing super big happened in the first half. Uh, just kind of fouls and general debauchery from both sides. Second goal, uh, Schmeichel was had a terrible pass in the middle of the field. Varane wins the ball, chips it over to, uh, was it Fernandez? Fred. Passed it to Fred, and then Fred tapped it over, uh, I believe it was Mendy, to Fernandez. Fernandez okay. shot, Schmeichel deflected it, and Fred right. gathered and, and rebounded. Yep. There was, it was chaos in the box, and they ended up with a goal. Uh, and then there was a third goal, and it was called back because of a foul, which I have a lot of mixed feelings about, and I think people know. Uh, Here's a question, Maddie. Yeah. Was it a foul? I've, I've, I've been reading a little bit about it. I think, so Ian Acho was fouled before he dragged his foot, I guess, through Varane, who then fell because he held his leg like he had a cramp. So I I don't think it was a foul. I think it's a fair it's fair shout. I don't have an issue with that being called back. I have an issue with the non-red card that should have been given. On McTominay. On yeah. McTominay. Okay. That was the dirtiest tackle. James Madison could have left the field in a stretcher. He could have not been walking. It was a very, very clear studs up, did not get the ball, foul. And I have seen less red card for uh, I've seen red cards given for less. And I always question, well, he's already going into the tackle. His studs really aren't up. His foot is just in a natural position. And I'm always told his studs are up. That's just how it is. So if that is how it is, then call the fucking red card. <laughs> I, after we had our conversation about Saudi Almane being a, a, a player who makes a lot of physical tackles, let's say, uh-huh. uh, I instantly remembered that Scott McTominay has at least one of these per game, uh, it seems. Every time I see him play, he's doing something dangerous, and I've... I think I need to walk back my statement on Saudi Amana. He is the <laughs> second uh, <laughs> most physical player in the league who makes annoying tackles. I'm not going to say dirty anymore. I don't like, I don't like that classification. I I, I felt Don't bad after it. saying that, but Scott McTominay uh, it certainly <laughs> is not. Uh, uh, Scott McTominay gets away with a lot. Yeah, he does. Um, he's got plot armor. Or something. Yeah, he's got. I think it's. I think, and I have no basis for why this take, but I think it's because I, think I know why. He's <laughs> <laughs> I think I know why. <laughs> no, it's because he's a central defensive midfielder. Mm-hmm. So yep. <laughs> uh, and I, um. I was because he's not English, right? So it's not like he gets that uh, little silent plus one bonus against refs. But he uh, he's in this role as as someone who needs to stop the play and like transition it to your team. So refs are, I think, more lenient because of that because he's playing within his role. Um, but he does get away with way too much. I mean, that was Manny's right. I think that was a red card. Uh, and like I, th- I, the thing is, they don't. You don't hear it during the play like you don't hear it when the commentators are watching it they say oh wow that's a foul but when you see like a forward like bring down a defender because they're trying to press the ball you can clearly see oh yeah that's a deserve that's a given that's a foul or like when a defender tries to stop a uh clear goal scoring threat by doing a dirty tackle um it's like a clear red card and everyone's in agreement but when mctomin did that it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't clear like it wasn't broadcasted and i think like if you want viewers to be more (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i'm sorry say why don't you just say it man uh yeah there's a there's a clear bias for manchester united in the refereeing (laughs) yeah um i I can't say it because i'm a liverpool supporter and i'll just get 
trashed if I say anything. I think actually people have like done a statistical analysis on that and have found that that's not really the case. Uh, I think it's just kind of a perception around Manchester United that they get preferential treatment by the referees for one reason or another. Um, and I don't know, maybe they just get lucky with calls that people think are obvious. But I think, granted, Xhaka got sent off for a red card against City in the second or third match of the season. That was like a very similar challenge as this. He didn't really make contact with the player. Um, but like he definitely went in with an intent. And yeah. I think the only thing with Xhaka is that you can kind of tell when he's trying to do something dirty and maybe McTominay's uh, boyish facial features mm, he does um, look protect young. him he from looks, that. He's young giant. Yeah. Young the giant. He's, uh, yeah, I think that's like the, the, the old issue that we've brought up multiple times is consistency with your calling. Um, yeah. Just if, if something's a foul, say that's a foul and give him a card. You know? I'm not asking for much. Uh, yeah, we went over the goals. Uh, let's go down to these, these questions here. Um, Ronaldo wasn't in the starting lineup because he was sick, I, I think. <laughs> I think sick. I've got the black lung pup. And uh, <laughs> he, he, he couldn't show up, and he uh, didn't, thus didn't start. Manchester United's record without Ronaldo starting this season is one win, six draws, and two losses. Now... Uh, I think everyone's clear on the fact that Ronaldo's a bit of a ball hog. Uh, he can try things that, uh, frankly, with his current state as a player, don't make any sense. Uh, his a lot of his shots go wide, but he is Ronaldo. I mean, he is he is Manchester United's top goal scorer, and he is uh, the reason they win most of their games, regardless. So uh, you know they bought Jaden Sancho. Uh, they just re-signed Fernandez to a more lucrative contract. Um, they've playing Anthony Longa. You know they've got Marcus Rashford, but all these guys aren't really contributing quite as much to the goals as Ronaldo is. Um, now, is this a bad thing? Do you think it's because when they're practicing, they're focusing their efforts to get Ronaldo the ball because he is their lead scorer and he is Ronaldo. So it's more when he's not there, it's like, Oh no, what do we do without our overlord? <laughs> I don't, I don't know if they call him that. But I, I understand I your point. Um, yeah. yeah, but let's, let's take a look outside of Manchester United for a second. Um, mm -hmm. Goal scoring from Arsenal doesn't come from one obvious player all the time. That's true. Uh, they it, have, it definitely doesn't come from our center forward. Yeah. So, and uh, like Lacazette doesn't have the bulk of the um, goals, which is fine because you know each team plays a particular system. But there's also not one clear goal scoring source. The same comes from Manchester City in a different aspect. You know, goals are coming from everywhere from them this season. Um, I won't say Liverpool because Mohamed Salah is clearly on another level this season. But I will say that they've got other attacking options that you can depend on. Um, consistently. So, and Leicester only scores when somebody comes back from being injured. Yeah. So Leicester have got the injury buff and, uh, I mean, I'm sure we can name other teams, but the point is, is that Manchester United with the budget they have, which is by the way, they've spent the most these past few years, more than any other team, um, state owned or not state owned. And they don't have that. They have Ronaldo and then they have the supporting cast. So is it a bad thing? So Man U, Man like front three, uh, if you will, or they're 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 three behind Fernandez, I guess. What you'll say if you look at their formation, which Fernandez is playing like a false nine thing, so he's like behind the wingers in a sense. But anyway, Sancho, Pogba, and Alanga each achieved three. They combined achieved three shots: one on target, one off target, one blocked, which just isn't great. If you look at their goal scoring return for the season, Cristiano Ronaldo's got twelve goals. Bruno Fernandes is on nine, so I think getting Fernandes into attacking positions is generally a good thing. He's shown a goal-scoring uh, threat in his previous uh, seasons. He does <laughs> admittedly have scored a lot of penalties, um, which maybe kind of inflates some of those returns, but he's a threat in, in the box and around the box, and he can also set you up for a goal, too. Their next leading goal scorer this season, Mason Greenwood. Five goals. So... Um, if you take him out, Fred is their third uh, a threat. Fred in Marcus Rashford. Oh yeah, it's the tied. Fred Assance. Fred was pretty good this game, by the yeah. way. Yeah, um, I've really turned around on him. Yeah, yeah. I think he's really turned around on him. 
<laughs> yeah, so, a rough start to the season. <laughs> I I do think I do think that Cristiano Ronaldo is a good goal scorer. Still, it's just what it is. Like their team doesn't work with him in in the lineup usually, but like. <laughs> You know, it also doesn't seem to be without it because they just don't have the goals this year. Like Sancho hasn't gotten the goals this year. Pogba was like kind of, you know, a non-factor on the field for the most part. Along is nice. Like he he plays, I think, the way Ragnik wants somebody in that position to play, but he just doesn't really have the quality for, you know, in front of goal. So you can see why they're putting Fernandez in the Ronaldo spot because he's kind of like their the uh, next, guy. next guy up. Yeah, yeah. so... It's it's like Ronaldo's become dependent. Like you naturally become dependent on Ronaldo for goals. He's just that kind of player. Yeah, it's like the venom suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and like, I won't elaborate. If you, yeah, no, don't. Uh, but if you, <laughs> if you look at like, I was, you know, I follow a lot of. We follow a lot of accounts on Twitter uh, at the Plastics Pod, by the way, um, from you know various team, you know, fan accounts from various teams, and of course, Manchester United have the United Stand, which you know they're. Uh, really active um on online and I've, i'm learning more about you know sort of the fan perception of some of the players and if you just look at you know the offseason i feel like you know or not ronaldo but united fans are you know kind of feeling like this season is a is a wash you know it's basically wrapped up for them they're sitting in seventh right now uh the teams that are ahead of them also have games in hand on them like it's it's just not looking like they're going to finish in you know, a solid position. They're, they're just too inconsistent. So looking to the summer, you know, they, they need to make some acquisitions to uh, increase their quality on the field. And the list is pretty long, folks. Uh, they, the fans are pretty down on a lot of their guys. You know, uh, they need a center defensive mid. They might need some fullbacks. They might need some wingers. They might need a striker. Uh, you know, that's what the list is looking like. So, you know, there's just, uh, it, they're looking for the future. It's, it's a rebuild and, yeah, the season just kind of feels like it's coming to a close for them, even though there's eight, seven or eight games left for them. The England fans over the break were pretty hostile towards Harry Maguire. When he was on the field, there was a lot of boo birds out. And I wonder what you two make of that. I feel like Maguire has been pretty solid for them as a center back in the international setup. I think Maguire is a product of a bad locker room. You didn't hear any of this stuff when he was at Leicester, and he was performing fine. So he's he, a lot of these guys at Manchester United are confidence players. They need to feel good, and they need to be in a locker room that isn't a giant toxic firestorm. So I think he'll be fine once he's on England because like the difference between like playing for Manchester United and playing for England is quite big because England are on a the opposite trend. They're on the up and up. They I mean they just came from a Euro final, which they lost, but they were they went to a final, you know, which is some which is not something they do a lot, weirdly enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that the Euro final perform the the Euro's performance, I think, is, kind of speaks for itself. Where were they playing when the, he got booed? I think it was at Wembley. I think people really just don't like him right now because of how he's performing for Man U. That's just going to immediately translate to performing for the national team and i don't think they can differentiate because they're just so clouded by how he's been f- performing for their team so do you think it's just a, a simple like matter of just dogpiling like he's down the media has been down on him so yeah. it's kind of an easy easy target you know big target on his back yeah yeah i think he's had a couple of rough spells and he's got a big back and it's notable that his teammates kind of came out and were defensive of him, yeah. you know, saying that it was kind of a joke, really. I think Southgate said that it was a joke that people were booing him. So, yeah, I mean, the, the team seems to have rallied around him. And, yeah, I mean, he's been, he's been fine with for, for the England England locker room is very positive. Everyone's, like, very yeah. buddy-buddy, which is uh, definitely different from the last golden generation. That's so. definitely true, yeah. yeah. And that's maybe a... I mean, I'm not knowing much about it, quite honestly, but that's maybe a something like you would, you know, attest to or give give a you know gold stars to Gareth Southgate for that creating that environment in the in the setup because yeah. they have been very toxic uh, in the past and also uh, very unsuccessful um, given the talent they've put on the field. Do you think uh, a center defensive mid signing goes a long way to covering for the center back performances that United have gotten, or do they need more? Is it an individual thing with McGuire in particular? I think it's a locker room thing. 
So you just think it's you just think it's bad vibes. They have so much talent on this team. They have so many players that every single one of them, when they came to Man U, everybody's like, "Wow, they're going to do really big things here." The expectations were high at the end of the summer, yeah. very high, title and, high, and like they come into this this locker room and everything just kind of seems to fall apart. And the media is not helping, of course, because why would they? But I think it's a locker room and a mentality thing. It's kind of really telling given the conversation we've just had and sort of the environment around United that it was a United attacker tackling another United attacker that probably prevented a game-winning <laughs> goal from <laughs> getting scored in the 95th minute. Uh, Elanga getting in the way of Rashford who made a nice run in the box uh, and yeah, basically bringing him to the ground. Just It's just like the, the wheels have fallen off the wagon for them this year feels like a hard reset we'll see you next next you know fall <laughs> yeah i do i do really like uh the way alanga plays i think he's a really hard worker uh and if you know he wasn't playing against us i would really i think like to watch him play which is saying something because i don't really vibe with manu that much yeah it's hard to identify with many other players yeah i also thought uh leicester city is Kiernan Dewsbury Hall. I thought he had a particularly really good game. Big fan of the dudes. I I think his his defensive work, he had like two really, really, really solid tackles, and one led to the goal. His offensive work, his feeding, he just he fed balls to everybody. And he was the centerpiece of our our attack. I thought he is just, he's fitting into the squad so nicely. The goal came off of, yeah, Dewsbury Hall recovering the ball off of what looked like it was going to be a United uh, counter attack. They, yeah. they were breaking into open space and Dewsbury Hall made a nice play. And then, yeah, it was just, they countered the counter really quickly. It was the ball, got the ball up to James Madison who delivered the ball into Inacho. And it was just like a, like, yeah, the United just like were completely caught off guard. So yeah, he, he did look pretty good. Do you guys have any closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, my Man U prediction is looking pretty good right now. What was your menu prediction? They won't finish any higher than sixth. Nice. Is there anything that you could possibly imagine that would draw as many eyeballs to television screens as the projected 5 billion people that will tune in for the World Cup? Is there another event you can even think of? Like, did the moon land? Do you think the moon landing like, um, that's was even great, close? I think the most watched game on average is El Clasico by television numbers, but I think that's like for a single game in terms of like gross numbers for the entire tournament. Um, maybe if there was like a gladiator style uh, pope anointment, but that's about it. No, yeah. I mean, like, obviously not. Like, soccer is the world sport, right? And, like, I don't, how else? And what what, else, what other television event could you possibly think of that would... There is one cricket, higher. Maybe. Nope. That is, is, is third. Is it a sport? Yep. It's a sport. 3.5 billion viewers. Nope. Is... No, 3.5 billion? Because mm -hmm. they were saying 5 billion was what they projected for people to tune in for this. Okay, this is so I'm saying I looked up the most watched sport event in the world. Oh, individual event or just, like, Sporting like gross numbers for the entire tournament. They're considering the World Cup as a sporting event. Mm -hmm. It is the second most watched. Is it an American sport? Nope. Okay. I mean, Americans play it or do it, it. Rugby? Nope. It's not cricket? Nope. That's third. I don't think you guys are going to get I it. Don't. I don't think I, none of us watch the it. The Tour de France? Yes. Wow. No, no, no. That's unacceptable. No, no. Biking. Well, why would I watch anywhere bike? That's pretty insane. I would have never guessed a bike race. Let me read you off the groups. Group A, Qatar, Netherlands, Ecuador, Senegal. Group B, England, Iran, the United States, and then one of Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine. Group C, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Group D, France, Denmark, Tunisia, and then one of Australia, the United Arab Emirates, and Peru. Group E, Spain, Germany, Japan, and then Costa Rica or New Zealand. Group F, Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia. Group G, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon. And finally, Group H, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea. 
Now, here's the real question. We're going to focus in on the United States, obviously. How do we feel about Group B? We got England, we got Iran, and then we got Will, Scotland, Ukraine. First question, England. Thoughts? <laughs> There's been so much banter already on Twitter between the U.S. fans and English fans, and I got to tell you guys, I'm not excited for that game whatsoever. I'm, I'm excited. <sighs> Why? Like, I'm excited. Do you? It's going to be so vicious if we lose that game badly, you know? I don't, I just, like, I, if, if, here's, here's the thing, Blair, here's my thing, okay? Let me, let me, let me tell you my thing. I know how good England can be, okay? Mm -hmm. So if the U.S. get totally destroyed, I'm not going to be like, that shouldn't have happened. No, be like, no, yeah. okay, I could see that. But you know what? I'm not going to go into being, oh my God, don't hurt me too much, England. No, I want to yeah. fucking kill them. <laughs> anyway. Um. I agree. Yeah, that, that should be <laughs> like, there's just like too much on the line, you know? Like know. They're, they're saying that the, the loser of the game has to keep James Corden, which sucks. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't want him. Yeah, that sucks. Just drop him in the Mariana Trench, man. You know, yeah. like a nice halfway point. so many just... Uh, my take is yeah. the winner of the game gets to claim James Joyce. That's that's what I got to say mm. about it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, let's. I hope we shit house that game. I do. Like, I do. So much. I want. Um, I'm sorry, all James Joyce is players, Irish. I'm so fucking stupid. Uh, I want all of our players to just because, like, all of our players, I think on average are bigger than them. So I want to just bully them. Yeah, it'll be like it's gonna be. It's gonna be hype. I, it, that game's gonna be the. I, I'm at Henry James, not James Joyce. You're the winner the of the game gets to claim Jeez. Henry James. Jeez, just just land on a guy. Yeah, that's my guy. The game will be taking place the day after Thanksgiving, right? Is it? I think so. Dude. Is it? Fucking hell. It'll be November 25th, okay. 2022. So, uh, <laughs> general ambivalence towards England because they are good, but we want to beat them really badly. Uh, I did. I'll, I can read off the squad to you right now. I have it in front of me. They have um, Jordan Pickford as their main guy, Harry Maguire, John Stones, uh, as their center backs, most probably um, not they, Tyron Minks. It's also that I'm just going. I'm just quick reading. Uh, we've got uh, Kyle Walker Peters uh, as a possible choice for a fullback. There's also um, uh, Karen Trippier. There's also Trent Alexander Arnold. There's also um, a couple of other people. Uh, we've got Reese Mason James. Mount. Reese James, uh, Mason Mount, Declan Rice, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish in the midfield, Harry Kane, Bukayo Saka, Raheem Sterling, Ollie Watkins is somewhere up atop. Uh, also, honorable mentions to G. Bellingham, Emil Smith Rowe, Connor Gallagher, James Ward Prowse, Jordan Henderson. Uh, so they have a very strong squad. Um, I don't think anyone's arguing with the fact that by the numbers and by the market evaluations, England have a better squad. That's not the point. The point is, is that England also once had 13 colonies and look where that got them. So <laughs> I think there's definitely a chance that the U.S. can pull off an upset here. Or if we do get a tie, that'll be a loss to England as well. I think this That's is true. England's group to lose, um, which I like because I like it when our team's backs against the wall because then we play better. Let's move on to Iran. I think I'll be the most Wesley Snipes crying and holding a pistol meme possible <laughs> rooting for Bukayo Saka, rooting against Bukayo Saka in any sporting event whatsoever. I didn't want yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk Iran. about Iran. Don't know much about them. They pretty much walked their group from the looks of it. They had some pretty nice uh, games against um, some fairly weak opponents. I think their top goal scorer is this fellow who plays for, where's my tab? Uh, plays for Leverkusen. Uh, recent call-ups uh, most notably include a uh, player for Porto, Mediterrami. He is a striker, so I think they'll probably be the most um, clear line of a goal-scoring source. There's an Athens player, Kareem Ansafarad. Uh, Kareem Ansafarifard. Ansarifard? I believe it's Ansarifard. Jeez, I that fucked right. it up so bad. Um, I think it's Sardar Azmoon who we were talking about, though. He's had 10 goals for them in their qualification. He plays for uh, Leverkusen. So another highly capped player of Vahid Amiri um, plays for Persepolis. So, like, a lot of these guys... Oh, also, can't forget freaking Sarman Godas plays for Brentford. Ah, yes. 31 caps. 
28 years old, midfielder. Um, yeah, so, like, I think this is, like, a relatively decent squad, I think, to say, yeah, Iran are trash. No, the, all the teams that made it are not trash. Yeah, don't don't assume. Don't. There's no there's no birds in the hand in, in the World Cup by any means. Yeah. Iran absolutely crushed Cambodia twice. They scored 24 goals against them and conceded zero. <laughs> 24 goals is a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Of, that's, that's a fucking You never see that scoreline. Um, so actually, maybe if you look at look into those more, uh, you'll see that the players we're talking about scored a lot of their goals uh, in that game. Sardar Uzman uh, did score a hat trick in their you first don't say. match in against the, in Cambodia. The, in the 24-goal game, they scored <laughs> yeah. a lot of goals? Yeah, it's kind of crazy how that works. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they came up against some more difficult uh, opposition in uh, Korea and only were able to muster one point from two matches um, against them. So it might be that they've, they look good um, in qualifications just because they're not facing a lot of tough competition, but I don't think we should be presumptuous by any means. Their center back, Armin Sahrabian, is one day younger than me. Okay. We're in similar life paths, um, I think. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We don't know much about him, and why should we? Let's move on to probably the most interesting question of the group is the one of Wales, Scotland, and Ukraine. Uh, this is the first game we'll play in the group stages, so this will be probably the most important game. Uh, Wales, Scotland, and Ukraine, where all three clubs were in the Euros, uh, they featured prominently. I think I wrote a small piece for them for Wales and Scotland and Ukraine because I all con I considered all three of them uh, black sheep that they could have gone farther than you might have suspected. Um, Ukraine and Scotland feature some players that you might not realize that play for them. One of them is Scott McTominay. Uh, he plays for Scotland and uh, also Scotland be playing with ten men in most games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, obviously Andy uh, Robertson plays for Scotland. Um, I will be rooting against him for some time. And then Ukraine, obviously, have Alexander Zinchenko and then uh, Yarmolenko, uh, among others. And then there's Wales, which is the Gareth Bale Mercenary Company. Um, do you? Let me ask you, Manny. Do you have a team you'd prefer among these three to face? To face? Yeah. Ukraine will absolutely. It feels like would absolutely be like one of those stories that yeah. a lot of fans would kind of coalesce around. Yeah. Who are, it's just unfortunate it can't happen. I think I would want Scotland. That's good. So that we can take out Scott McTominay. <laughs> you want to see the pain in his eyes? Yes. Okay. Okay. Blair? I think I think I want Ukraine. I hold a lot of thoughts and tension with these teams because I feel like personally I probably overrate teams based off of just how many players I get to watch in the Premier League. That's why it's like so hard to pick, you know, March Madness teams because you just like don't get to watch all these players. And also you say like, oh, this team from the Big Ten is going to be better than this team from some uh, conference I've never heard of. But like, that's not always true. Uh, and, and these are tournaments. So um, weird things happen. So like, I don't know. I mean, it's a really tough choice. I obviously, I don't want to see Wales. I definitely uh, don't want to see Wales. I think it's Ukraine. In my opinion, the tier of teams goes one Wales, two Ukraine, three Scotland. Scotland and Ukraine have to play each other before they play Wales. So for that reason, I think my pick's Ukraine because I think that's the stronger team to beat Wales, and I do not want to play Wales. Let's uh, go on to the teams that uh, the U.S. might have to play in this uh, in this lineup. I've got a cool sheet here that outlines the path to victory for the U.S. And so after some time, uh, we realized that there are some teams that we want to generally avoid. But I want to hear teams that you guys think that while we are gung-ho, I am gung-ho on the U.S., absolutely do not want to face. Brazil. Man, it's tough. I feel like I feel like so many of these top teams are actually so weak that we could easily walk past them. No, I don't want to see France, uh, Senegal. I think we could beat them, but I, I think they'd be difficult. They're coming off of a nice run, winning the AFCON. You know, they had the contentious win against uh, um, Egypt. I think that Senegal probably could beat the U.S. like even five times out of ten. Uh, Germany being a pot two team. That's bullshit, by the way. <laughs> um, they are not a pot two team. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's mark it. Um, my, my three that I th I'm picking, I've got three teams that I just don't want to face at all in any sense of the word because I think that we are screwed. It's Brazil, France, and Germany. 
I think everyone else, we have a fighter's chance. And so we have to avoid these three. I think we could beat Spain. I think Spain are soft on the underbelly. Uh, I think Portugal's top heavy. They uh, fans are very vocally critical of their coach. England, I'm not. I'm not necessarily afraid of them. Argentina have never fired at all cylinders. Everyone else, though, Belgium, I think are overrated as heck. Ghana are not the 2010 of Ghana. The Ghana of 2010, excuse me. Um, Denmark. Sorry, Maddie. Uh, <laughs> and then Senegal is another one. Netherlands. Netherlands are the one that we have to avoid also the most easy. So the thing is, is that if we finish at the top of our group um, as uh, in group B and then the Netherlands finish the top of the group in group A, we avoid them. But if we finish in second and they finish in first, we have to play them. And I want to avoid it if I can, because I think they're the, 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 they have a very strong defensive line. I, I feel like that scenario where they finish first and we finish second. If I were to looking at the groups right now, just with what I know, that would be like what I would guess is the outcome for both of those groups. And then I think uh, if we finish, what group is Brazil in? Brazil is in group G. Yeah, that's an interesting group. Yeah. It looks tricky. If we finish in second and they finish in first, we do face Brazil on our bracket side. We also... Where's Germany? That See, groupie, I think, is the hardest. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Top to bottom. Yeah, dude. Shout out to whoever, Costa Rica or New Zealand, whoever uh, yeah. whoever wins there. They've got to contend with uh, Spain, Germany, and Japan. Yeah. Japan, Japan, by the way, are like, they're they're good, man. Like, they're 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 probably the the best team in, I don't know, the best team in Asia, I guess. Did you yeah. see, did you see their game against Belgium last time around? I have a vague recollection of it. It yes. was heartbreaking. They went up two nothing, and then Belgium scored three goals in forty five minutes. Uh, yeah, that's brutal, man. <laughs> Do you think there's a group of death? Because there's not like an obvious like. It's a really balanced bracket, man. I think I think um, uh, what was I just saying? Group F looks pretty tricky. Maybe I'm overrating Canada given the octagonal, but like, I, I think there's talent on Croatia and Morocco, and uh, Belgium are. A talented team, if not maybe slightly flawed. Croatia, baby. Yeah, like Croatia were in the final last World Cup. Uh, so, yeah, pretty solid there. Um, Group H looks kind of tricky. H. Ooh. Like Uruguay, oh, yeah. Ghana, South Korea, Portugal. That's, you know, that's not that's not easy. To San's got his work cut dead. out for him. Yeah, he does. That He does, for sure. <laughs> and uh, Huang Hee Chan. And... Is he South Korean? He is. He is. <sighs> wow. Wow. Um, yeah, I think uh, the easiest group, you think? Easiest group, anyone. <laughs> I know it, but do you guys know it? A? Yeah, I thought it was A. Okay. Yeah, I think it's A. That was a group I wanted to get into. Argentina, Mexico, Poland seems kind of fun. That's that's very chaotic Yeah. to me. Saudi who, Arabia, I don't who know do you think? Who do you think makes it out of Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Poland? It seems like Messi is like very much like I'm I'm an Argentina player first and a club player second now. Uh, there's that fun. I mean now, yeah, for sure. Fun pivot that some of these players are making, like Bale and Argentina. Just on paper, look like it, but I don't know. I I haven't been all that impressed with Mexico in the octagonal. We handled them pretty easily. I thought um, Poland are pretty solid. I know nothing of you Saudi so? Arabia. I think Poland are okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I okay. think they're I think they're fine. They got Maddie Cash. Maddie Cash is Polish. Maddie Cash, the most Polish name, Kashki baby. <laughs> you think Cash is the most Polish name ever? No, I grew up around plenty of Pol- Polish people in and the, were they all named Cash? No, uh, I grew D- up Dzinski, on the Poles. Oh, okay. Uh, Donikowski, okay. <laughs> <The> uh, <Lewandowski>. <laughs> Szymanski. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, tons of Polish people in my hometown. Yeah, but Pol- Poland's pretty good. I think they're like. I think they're like a clunky car that only works half the time. Yeah. So I think they're not that great. That's which is why I think like Saudi Arabia has like a fighting chance here. Yeah, probably. probably. Um, I, have, I I can't, I couldn't name a single player in Saudi Arabia's team. They made it out of groups last time around. I kind of like if, if the U S don't win, I wouldn't mind it if Argentina won just to kind of get rid of the discussion around Messi just so we could stop listening to it and like get him his world cup trophy and then like be done with it. Um, 
and that's the. You just mean in terms of like his stature is greatest of all time. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the that's one of my toxic red flags. Is I want Messi to get a World Cup. I mean, we've kind of gone over all of them, but yeah. not in much depth in some cases. The okay, let's pretend the U.S. isn't in this. Who's going to win the World Cup? The betting odds, uh, according to an article oh, yeah, I found in the Athletic from. April 1st, so the, the athletic staff wrote this. Good on them. Uh, Brazil are the favorites at 5-1. to one. France, 11-2 to two odds, tied with England, who are also on 11-2 to two odds. Uh, Spain are, I guess, fourth at 8-1. to one. Argentina, 9-1. to one. Germany, 10-1. to one. Belgium, Netherlands, Portugal, Denmark, Uruguay. I think the only reason... Argentina's behind Germany is because they just came off the back of a um, common bowl win. Um, Argentina is ahead of Germany. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They oh. they won the yeah, um, yeah. Copa, Copa America. America. God. <laughs> that hurts. That hurts my brain. Uh, yeah, they just came off the back of a Copa America, and Germany were pretty average in the Euros. So I think a lot of this is just like historical performances like within the past year, which really doesn't matter as much as you might think. Yeah, I think historical performances are bullshit. Senegal is the first team to show up on this list for the uh, African nations. They're at 66 to 1 odds. You know what? Yeah, okay. I'll buy a Senegal ticket. Yeah. Switzerland and the United States are tied uh, with Serbia. Three teams tied at 80 to 1 odds. They're behind Senegal. God, that's but a we are low. ahead of Mexico. It's a little low. Uh, here's something. Mexico, Poland, and Qatar are all on 100 to 1 odds. Yeah, I mean, the margins are probably so fine that they just lump them in together. Now, why Qatar is on 100 to 1? No idea. Yeah, I find that fascinating. Home advantage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's honest. They did bump the uh, first game, which Qatar was supposed to. Wait, where's England in this? I'm sorry. England were fourth. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say England. England were third. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I don't want to say England. England's Brazil born. is on five to one in first. France and England are tied in second at 11 to two odds. Okay. So I guess the smart, I mean, the smart answer is Brazil, right? Because they're Brazil. So mm -hmm. they have a flag that's pretty cool. Very cool. Flag. Where's Wales? Uh, oh, they aren't in it. I don't know yet. if they're even They aren't even in it. Yeah. yeah. Where's Portugal? Well, actually, sorry. They do have odds for. Well, Scotland are 250 to 1. Portugal are down there. They're 12 to 1 odds below the Netherlands. How's that? Below Belgium. the Netherlands and Belgium. Okay, I can buy it. Wales are in 150 to 1 odds tied Hell with Ukraine. Yeah. You know what that means, right? 150 to 1? Oh, well, you know why? Because they still have to play. They'll probably rise if they win. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say well, the U.S. is above Wales in terms of betting. Yeah, uh, so you heard it here, folks. Put your money, put all your money down on the U.S. Anything to close with, Ad? We're just spitballing. This is the Riff Hour. Maddie, where can you find us on social media? The social meds? Social meds, Maddie? Maddie, social meds? On Twitter, meds, we are at the, the Plastics Pod. On Instagram, we are Plastics Podcast. You can find us on YouTube. There are some episodes up. You can email us at plasticspodcontact at gmail.com. At gmail, but reach us, to, reach us, uh, reach us out. Reach out to we us on Twitter. We do a lot of fun little reels of the episodes. We do some graphics. If we have things being made for the episodes, they go up on Instagram and Twitter. So follow us, love us, like, subscribe, send us a review. It really, really helps. And uh, yeah, that's that's all I have. DM us on Twitter, baby. I will respond. Uh, if I respond first. Oof. The challenge. Goodbye. Cheers. Alvita Zayn.